The Voices of Wales, recorded underwater by the National Geographic Society. The Eskimos hunted whales, but killed only what they required for subsistence. Over the centuries, the English, the Russians, the Americans and the Japanese have hunted the whale indiscriminately, to a point where the continued existence of the species could have to depend on the scientifically controlled breeding and rearing of the species. Science fiction? Maybe. But I remember seeing a comic recently which was published in the early 30s and it depicted underwater men in marvellous tunics riding on the backs of domesticated dolphins, herding large shoals of fat, finned fish which were contained within wired-off acres of sea. That was a comic strip in the 1930s and at that time futuristic. Today... It still is futuristic to that extent. Um, I would say I have an example here in terms of someone quoted to me that the, if you compared mariculture to, say, the poultry industry, then we have just trapped a guinea fowl and we've just brought him out in from the forests, as it were. That's an example. We're at relatively early stages in mariculture development, and particularly in Ireland, we are at a very early stage, even compared with Scotland and Norway and other producing countries. Um, Japan has a huge exploitation of its seawater resources for shellfish culture, and there's a lot to be learned from countries like Japan and the United States. Tony Heath, Managing Director of Guinness's Coron Fisheries on Lake Furness near Newport and County, Mayo. But, in fact, has the science fiction of the 30s been overtaken by the reality of the 80s? Damien O'Callaghan, Director of Bertrich Tornte, Corna, County Galway. It's, in fact, very close to reality. Uh, the part about the dolphins aside, uh, the Norwegians grow salmon by, in fact, cutting off uh, fjords, um, blocking fjords at the at the beginning and the end, and having grills for the ex- uh, exchange of water within which they enclose large quantities of salmon and feed them. And the Japanese uh, also have developed uh, systems on the bottom which resemble mini cities, whereby they lay large structures and frames on the bottom as shelters for certain types of um, lobster and crayfish and other types of fish and thereby increase the natural yield of that area of water. So we are moving very fast into um, uh, an area of um, uh, controlled and managed development of the sea and the potential of the sea, moving from an area uh, of catching wild fish, which has been the main effort up to now. You take among the top countries in the world in fishing, take the Soviet Union, for instance, they have already taken the decision that by 1990 they will in fact have replaced all their hunting of the seas with the farming of the seas. Now that doesn't mean that all their fish is going to come from actual fish held in containers or in traps or nets in the sea, but it does mean that they're going to manage the fish docks available to them in such a way that the return will be calculated in advance, it'll be specific, it'll be a form of ranching the seas. And this in a way is the stage in between in fish farming. First of all you have the wild hunting, then you have the ranching of the seas which the Soviet Union is moving into rapidly and then the next stage is the full fish farming but at the end of the day what you do is you drop the vague approach of hunting the seas 
Now, that's one country. Japan is already the largest in the world in this, and in fact is teaching most all the other countries, because they can even breed shrimp. Very difficult, but they're doing it. They're also breeding lobsters, or trying to breed lobsters. They're breeding and cultivating tuna. And I have seen in Canada, Nova Scotia, tuna up to 900 pounds weight being fattened for the Japanese market in an experimental station. So really, in the sea, you can do everything that you can do on the land. And you can do it with calculated effort, calculated investment, and to a large degree, as with the farmer, calculated returns. Marine journalist and editor of the Irish skipper, Arthur Reynolds. The history of attempts at mariculture is much older than the records which show that oysters were farmed in Japan as early as 2000 BC. And 1900 years afterwards, the Romans, who else, were doing the same thing. In 1400 AD, Javanese fish farmers had to be protected by law from fish thieves. The Japanese also farmed carp in freshwater ponds, an exercise which during the Middle Ages was conducted by monks in both Britain and Ireland. I suppose the, the furthest back mass development of mariculture, uh, one of the most interesting ones at least, is the case of mussels in France, where uh, an Irishman in fact developed mussel culture in uh, the La Rochelle area of France on the Atlantic uh, around 1200, having been shipwrecked. Uh, his name is Patrick Walton. And as it happens, we have a, a Padraig de Waldrige working for us on fish farming, so it's a nice um, balance when we're sending back cultivated mussels to that area of France from Ireland. Uh, he was shipwrecked and um, to uh, supplement his, his, his feeding, he uh, put out stakes on the mud flats with nets in between them to catch wild birds and found to his amazement that mussels were growing very fast and very good quality on the stakes and on the nets. And that system of cultivation is still exactly as he developed it now in France. And in that area of France, they produced 10,000 tonnes alone with 300 men working uh, in the La Rochelle area, producing very high-quality mussels. And we have a, a mussel farmer from that area working with us and has been working with us for the last four or five years in developing mussel cultivation in Ireland to the same quality and the same standards. So, in fact, uh, fish farming, to a greater ex lesser extent, goes back many hundreds of years and it has been and is an extensive uh, portion of the fishing effort of um, a large number of countries. Uh, in Europe, the main countries now are Spain for mussels, France for mussels and oysters, Holland for mussels and oysters, Norway for salmon and trout, and the new countries would be Scotland and Ireland would for a range of species. And of course, in the Far East, Japan is by far the most developed uh, fish farming country in the world. There are several terms such as mariculture, sea farming, fish culture, aquaculture and aquiculture, which all more or less mean the same thing. Mariculture and sea farming relating mainly to a sea environment, while fish culture, aquaculture and aquiculture refer to either sea or freshwater. I asked both Damien O'Kelly and Tony Heath for a definition of mariculture and received succinct replies. Briefly, it's the cultivation of fish and shellfish, even seaweeds, under control, controlled conditions. It can apply to both uh, freshwater and seawater, although in, in our case we're, we're exclusively concerned with the sea. In its simplest form, mariculture is the utilisation of the sea as a resource and exploiting it to produce a marketable product, a food product. 
and Dr Tony Meany, Bordioskig Vara's Fisheries Development Manager. Well, there are various uh, definitions of uh, mariculture. However, the one that I think is most appropriate is the, that uh, mariculture is uh, the improvement in growing conditions for useful marine species. There are excellent conditions for mariculture to be found in Irish coastal waters, and not just on the western coastline, which, because of its geographic location, is less exposed to the danger of pollution than the coast of any other EEC country so far at least. But does that mean that every bay and inlet is more or less demanding to be maricultured? Um, that's a nice term. Uh, to some extent that's true and to another extent it's an oversimplification. Um, there are a number of factors important in uh, mariculture, and uh, I'll run through them briefly with you and you can then see to what extent all or some of the bays are suitable. Uh, firstly, uh, there's a universal requirement for uh, unpolluted waters, and certainly the West Coast, almost all of it has that. The only bays that are polluted usually are ones uh, proximate to large towns. We have, a, we have an, a, an attractive lack of heavy industry on the West Coast, which uh, a lot of us would like to see continued. Um, the second point is temperature. Uh, we could do with a higher temperature, but the fact that our temperature is temperate, that is, there's not a great change between winter and summer, is attractive for mariculture. Just give you one example. The, the French find it uh, very difficult to farm salmon and trout in the sea on their Atlantic coast because of the high summer temperatures. This reduces the oxygen content in the water. Uh, so those two factors are certainly existent. Now, the other important features uh, of bays uh, and their suitability for mariculture are shelter. It's not true to say that we have many uh, or that all our bays are sheltered. Some are more sheltered than others. And generally speaking, we have rough weather on the west coast of Ireland compared to most coasts. Uh, we have a lot of wind, particularly westerly, southwesterly, northwesterly wind. And this can, in the wrong circumstances, cause a lot of problems, a lot of damage to rafts and structures. So you have to find a bay or a portion of a bay which is relatively sheltered from the prevailing wind or from the wind with the longest fetch in that bay. Uh, depth of water. This is a very important factor. Uh, to make efficient use out of uh, rafts and cages you require a, a varying uh, um, depth but a minimum depth of about 15 feet for any type of culture. And again uh, some bays are very deep, some bays are very shallow. The other thing you must bear in mind is that Ireland um, has an exceptionally high tidal range. That is, the difference between the highest tide and the lowest tide is about 14, 15 feet in Ireland, which means when, you're, when I'm talking about depth, I'm talking about depth at the lowest tide. So if you need 15 feet at the lowest tide, that means about 30 feet at the highest tide. And that combined with the shelter requirement does limit you. However, we are working on systems particularly for shellfish cultivation which should be possible to use in wilder waters, that is, more flexible systems than the rafts. And uh, over the next couple of years, we hope to bring these to commercial uh, suitability. Um, then the other uh, question about the suitability of our bays um, breaks down on the type of species you have in mind. Salmon and trout make no requirement of food of the water because you feed them yourself. They do require a higher element of shelter than the shellfish. Um, they uh, also require a high level of oxygen and water exchange. 
In the case of the shellfish, you're putting the shellfish in bays which have enough food to feed them. And as we mentioned earlier, you can't assume that every bay has a uh, superfluity of the type of food needed. So you have to test this out yourself over the cycle of the fish and make sure not to uh, overstock the bay and constantly get undeveloped and underdeveloped uh, products. But one could say quite clearly that the west coast of Ireland has uh, tremendous advantages on in mariculture. And bearing in mind the, the, the points I've made earlier, um, a, a large element of exploitation, successful exploitation, should be possible, given uh, a bit of luck and, and a, a programmed development. Damien O'Callaghan, with whom, by the way, Tony Heath is not in complete agreement. I would say that in this case that we're not th as lucky as some other countries in Europe in terms of if we look at ourselves in relation to Norway, for instance, and Scotland, we do not have the necessary sites that we are able to exploit for, say, the cage culture of salmonid salmon and trout. Um, we are in a position where we have a very high water quality and relatively pollution-free at the moment, but in fact the sites where we are able to exploit this water quality are very limited. Tony has made a special study of water quality, a fact which he finds of considerable importance. It's probably the most important aspect of my work because water quality with rearing fish in an, in an aquatic environment that they're so dependent on water quality. Also we've got our obligations to maintain the quality and, and pollution-free water supplies and in terms of we don't want to enrich the waters or cause any detriment. We have to be very careful and in this way we can benefit because other people are in advance of ourselves and we can use their technology so that we can utilize our resources better than perhaps they have done already. I think we're increasingly conscious of the necessity to manage um, the resource as you mentioned it successfully. Certainly we have, a, we have plenty of uh, opportunity to look at parts of Europe which have not managed them properly and, and we can see the results of them. Certainly France and, and Holland to some extent, Spain to some extent, have found that, that uh, in many areas they overexpanded uh, with consequent results for lack of quality or diminishing returns or disease. Uh, the question of quality of the water is an essential one and it certainly would be nonsensical for one part of, of, of the state structure to be developing mariculture and spending a lot of money on new techniques and another part of the state structure encouraging dirty industries in on the west coast and we'd be cutting our own throat. So there's certainly, I think in Ireland there is a growing awareness, particularly among the ordinary people, that we have something which is clean and above all that's the principal primary uh, prerequisite. And we have this uh, clean water and we must keep it clean. Corkman Damien O'Callaghan has a BSc from Cork University. He's a Master of Business Studies and as Managing Director of Bertrich Tornte in Corna, County Galway, he is totally committed to the concept of mariculture. Uh, mariculture in Ireland, I think, is at uh, an advanced stage, ready now for, for uh, further expansion. Um, we've had five years of development work under in various species and four of these species have come to the stage now where uh, we believe they're exploitable commercially uh, under controlled control conditions. These are um, oysters, both the native oyster and the Japanese oyster, the mussel, salmon and uh, sea-reared rainbow trout. 
Could you describe for me what your could you describe your raft system for me? Okay, um, the essence of the cultivation system we have developed is that we're trying to optimize the growing conditions of both the fish and the shellfish in the sea. The idea being that if you can remove them from their natural predators, if you can give them enough space to grow on and make the natural food in the sea available to them at all times of the tide, then they'll grow better, you'll get a higher uh, survival rate and the end quality will be better. Now take the case of our mussel cultivation which we began in 1975 and we have now have uh, developed to a, um, a commercial stage. We've developed uh, three types of rafts which essentially are floating platforms anchored to the bottom of the sea from which are suspended ropes with pegs on them, each rope 30 feet long. We collect seed in uh, Killary Harbour each year. Uh, mussel seed attaches naturally to the ropes at a precise period of time and we can determine the right time to put the ropes in the water by analysing the water and analysing the larvae, the first stage of growth of the mussel which exists in the water. When the seed has settled we transfer the ropes onto other rafts in growing areas. The distinction being that we don't want to grow mussels where there's a lot of mussel seed because the problem is that the mussel seed will continuously settle on the rope and you'll get different generations of mussels growing with consequent differences of size and this you want to avoid at all costs. So the principle is you thin those ropes and leave the optimum number of mussels on the ropes and these then grow under the water at all times and never exposed uh, in the tide so consequently they're growing much faster than the wild ones. They're never on the bottom so there's no sand or grit in the flesh and the shells are very clean and very light because of the fast growth but consequent um, much higher meat yields than in the wild. Now, the raft system is used, is that, it's not used for all types of shellfish, is it? Uh, it's, we're using it for oysters as well, although there are alternative ways of growing oysters. Some people use trestles intertidally on the shore. It de it's determined really by the type of water, the type of bay available to you. But again, the advantage of using rafts for oysters is that they're in the water all the time, so they'll grow faster. Obviously, the rafts cost more money than, than, than trestles, so you have to balance the advantage uh, taking the type of bay that you have. But we grow oysters on rafts for two to three years, and when they're on the rafts, they're in either um, Japanese nets, which we call lantern nets, or they're in plastic trays. And therefore, they're... they're excluded from their natural predators which are the starfish and the crab so you get a much higher survival than you could expect in the wild. Uh, in the third and fourth year of life we put them on the bottom in, in uh, mesh bags and there they fatten up for the market in the same manner as the wild oysters. Uh, the salmon and trout are grown differently. The salmon and trout um, are grown in cages which essentially is a floating collar from which is suspended uh, a large net completely enclosed uh, under the water, going down about 12-14 feet. The fish are held in the, in the water, in the net. Um, the big difference between the shellfish and the finfish, of course, is that we must feed the finfish. We, we must feed the salmon and trout each day. Uh, the, s the mussels and oysters, we put those growing in areas where the natural food is sufficient for them to grow. So therefore, the cost of producing mussels and oysters is far lower than the cost of producing salmon and trout. Conversely, the value per tonne of salmon and trout is far higher. There are, by the way, several types of raft, ranging in price from £800 for the cheapest 
to £1,800 at the top of the scale. Bertrich Tornte employs a staff of 40, and at present exports each year around 160 tonnes of mussels, 50 tonnes of trout, 30 tonnes of salmon, and 40,000 oysters. They have a large community involvement this year, with 14 or 15 rafts in each of two bays, Clue Bay and the Killery. Some tortuous miles to the north on Lake Furness near Newport in County Mayo, Englishman Tony Heath, an honours degree student in biology and physiology, is managing director of the wholly owned Guinness subsidiary Coron Fisheries, rearing salmon and trout. Coron Fisheries um, has developed from um, the Guinness relationship with the Salmon Research Trust, which they have funded for a number of years, I think 23 years, and they funded that. Now, they did experimental work which showed that uh, the salmon could certainly be farmed, initially in a pumped seawater project where the the um, salmon were reared in tanks, actually on a land-based site, with pumped seawater. And latterly they moved over to the system of cage culture. Because of the high energy costs associated with pumping seawater into a land-based site. So the development of Coron Fisheries has been one of a steady, sustained approach using the basic knowledge and expertise developed at the Salmon Research Trust of Ireland. We are able to control the whole life cycle of the salmon by rearing and hatching eggs of salmon in fresh water. And then at the period when the fish smolt, they, they are able to be transferred to the sea for rearing and fattening in net cages. So we look at, we control the whole cycle of the salmon in a controlled environment. When you say you control it, Tony, what, are you, what exactly do you mean? Well, we are able to keep brood fish just as, uh, and naturally select the fish for the better qualities, just as a horse race dealer would keep brood stock and use his best stock for furthering and obtaining progeny. We are able to then take these brood stock and strip them of their eggs and also their milt, which is the, the sperm from the male fish, and fertilize them on the land. We can do crosses between different fish we can try and get the best fish developed, the fastest growing fish for instance, or develop, try and develop disease resistant strains to protect us from the incident of disease. Now we then control the eggs, we, we rear them and nurture them and look after their early development so we cut down the high mortalities that the fish would have naturally in the, uh, in the river or stream bed so that we get a higher survival rate of the fish. We then are able to take them through the stages, um, controlling their, their, their diet, the food that they eat, and the relative the rate at which they grow. And then at a the certain point, as I've said, we're able to transfer them down to the sea, as they would follow their natural cycle of migration from the fresh water into the salt. So you can... Actual, in actual fact, what you're saying, I think, is that you can create a non-natural uh, cycle on almost a natural basis mm. within the Quran fisheries. That's right. It's, it's rather than natural, I'd say artificial. Yeah, and sorry. artificial would be better. And that um, 
that is exactly what we do. We cut down the risks in terms of, you know, if you if a wild if somebody in the wild would be going out and fishing for these with nets, we would have them at hand under our control so that we can obtain those fish at a particular time or whenever the market requires those fish to be produced. Well now are you in the business now so of producing a tailor-made fish if I may use that type of terminology um, of a certain age and a certain length and a certain weight uh, can you provide that to order? We can still only at the stage where we can provide this at a certain time of the year our production cycles are such that we can only produce salmon uh, during a relatively limited period prior to them becoming sexually mature in terms of they mature and then they would not be a marketable product but so we're very limited in that respect Scotland the people in Scotland have been aiming at producing salmon all the year round um, we are not yet in a position to be able to do that and we are not really in the future aiming at producing that type of salmon. We are really filling in an existing hole in the market, a gap in the market as it were. People would like fresh salmon at a particular time of the year and we are able to supply them with that product. We have had the problem which is experienced by other farms on the west coast and this is the problem of that the, sec the fish become sexually mature before they reach a large size. Now, there are ways we can overcome this problem of maturity of the fish, but at the, at the present time, for us certainly, it's not worthwhile carrying over any stock for a further year in the seawater to obtain bigger fish. We are selling them at the size between one and two kilograms, which is the equivalent of grills from the wild catchers. And, and we have a market for that product, and we are selling it as such. Where is the market? Um, we aim to export most of our fish and the markets are therefore for us would be in France and Germany and on the continent. Various mariculture projects have been set up along our coastline in recent years. Some successful and some not so successful. And local communities are showing an increasing interest in the industry. On the west coast in particular it is seen as a way of creating badly needed employment and supplementing meagre incomes from agriculture. Arthur Reynolds sees it as a desirable and practical development. Um, we could go into mussel farming in Ireland in many places with, with considerable profit. Now, two families can be supported by one raft, which is pretty good. And in many of our bays, we could have several rafts going. Now, I understand that the growth rate is only two-thirds of the, that of in Spain, but the quality of the mussel produced in the end here in Ireland is superior. So we have a good case to go into this sort of business. And it is labour-intensive. It requires a good deal of attention um, in the various stages of bringing the muscle from the start right to the market. So in the west coast of Ireland, where we need more occupation and more work, it seems to me a good thing. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody should rush off and, start and buy or make an expensive raft and set it up, but it does show that basically... If we get the thing going, it has a useful contribution to make to our sort of community situation on the West Coast. Quite simply, one of the uh, ideas in the development uh, establishment of Bertrick Cho in 1975 was 
the orge as seen by Gweltra Erden, which is now the Uderosna Gweltra, to, to see uh, methods or uh, industry, types of industry, which would be more suited to local people's uh, abilities and knowledge and expertise than the traditional one of supplying foreign industry with modern uh, technology, uh, which is quite alien to the local way of life. Mariculture has proven from within our own staff, which is predominantly local people, um, to be eminently suitable to their uh, skills, knowledge, and their, 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 their own attractive way of life. Um, I believe development of mariculture in Ireland will include all elements of organisation. That is, there will be a role for private, f uh, reasonably large type industries, uh, for state involvement, uh, for cooperative um, parish council type activities and for the individual person. Um, obviously the individual person requires a far greater level of support and, and help than a, a, an organisation, even a co-op, which had more resources available to it. But we are actively promoting the idea of local involvement and in each bay where we're currently operating commercially, it's in Lettermullen, uh, Carna and Killary, we are engaged in, uh, in cooperating with locals' involvement in those areas and we will be able to help them, give them knowledge and information and help them in the development of their uh, portion of those bays. Yeah, a very large part of shellfish farming is in the winter. All harvesting, for example, is done in the winter and this is quite a labour-intensive portion of it. But one must have and must be able to, to make time available at any time of the year to check the crop, to deal with problems that might arise and in the case of oysters, um, a tremendous amount of the grading is done during the summer. And in the case of mussels, uh, the seed collection and the seed thinning is done throughout the summer. But in general, as a general commentary, I would say that um, the type of work, the level at which you can start uh, at, and the level of investment that might be involved, um, I think shows that, that uh, one could expect a quite a, a significant amount of local involvement in this business. But there is a danger, Damien, isn't there, that if you get an enthusiastic and even well-run local co-op or local community involvement, their um, capital investment, for instance, even in the to the extent of buying, let's say, your most extensive type or your most expensive type of raft, which will run them into about eighteen thousand pounds, that that type of of financial involvement could be in extreme danger, let's say, in any given year due to an influx of disease such as red tide or something else like that. Can a local community stand that type of thing? Well, this is um, the chicken and the egg uh, situation. Um, there are risks. One wouldn't like to be seen as being overemphasizing them. However, at this stage of development, I think it's not any harm to overemphasize them in the sense that people getting in will have their eyes opened fully to the likely problems. Um, Obviously, we wouldn't be in the business ourselves and continuing in it unless we believe that in the long term um, this will be a successful industry for Ireland. But there are other problems, as well as the problems of farming in the sea, the problems of damage by storm, or the possible problems of disease in certain cases. Um, there are the problems of marketing, and this is uh, an aspect of the business which requires a lot more investment. Uh, a lot of investment has been done by our company, for example, up to now in the, in, in the area that we were given to work on, that is in the development of equipment and techniques to produce the product to a high enough quality. But you must remember that there is practically no market in Ireland itself for fish. Uh, certainly uh, a mariculture industry could not build around Ireland, or even England for that matter. We are very isolated from Europe. We have a long transport route and an expensive transport route. 
and uh, this area requires a lot of, of attention very quickly and I hope that the necessary investment at national level will be forthcoming to develop this aspect of the business. But there's a worm in the apple, or possibly a dogfish in the mariculture farm. The voice of the local community is now stating that it views the influx of big business into the mariculture area with extreme suspicion. There's a fear that the benefits will be had by outsiders, Irish or otherwise, with little left to the community of the natural resources on its own foreshore. If big business goes into fish farming, and there's no doubt about it that they're showing interest at this stage, if big business goes in, it's not going to go in on a project that's going to take four or five years to bear fruit without having the expertise and without buying the best expertise. Local communities who feel that they'd like to be in fish farming are not likely to be able to raise that sort of capital, and there's going to be some misgivings about the possibility of it showing returns in a reasonable amount of time. So therefore, I don't think we can turn our backs completely against people who are prepared to put their money where their mouth is, to use a good old expression. I think that these people are going to uh, give something to us. They're going to show that it can be done. And after all, the most successful fish farms in these islands now are ones operated by large concerns, one of them being in Scotland, for instance. And that has been an example and a yardstick for us in this country. So after all, we've benefited from that, although it's a long way away. Still, um, we can benefit from one set up in Ireland with an injection of capital from outside. And aboard the Eskig Vara's attitude, Dr Tony Meany. We would absolutely uh, believe that the small people, as you described them, should be involved. But rather, we would not talk in terms of big people or small people. We're talking in terms of viable projects. And we're very glad at any time to receive a proposal which is properly drawn up from, uh, whether it be a small individuals or a group of individuals or a company or a cooperative. Uh, the grouping doesn't matter as such. It's the project that's important. I think that's in the interest of the people putting the project forward. The, the project must be sound. It must stand up technically. It must stand up from an investment point of view and from a marketing point of view and we're glad at any time to assist people to develop a project so that I don't think you can talk in terms of big uh, business or uh, small individuals in that context. On the southeast coast in Wexford in fact there is a first class example at present of community involvement and cooperation in mariculture to the betterment of the area at large. A development which has attracted the attention of a BBC television team recently. Well, in Wexford Harbour you have a type of uh, mussel cultivation which is based on a system which was developed and, uh, in Holland in over the past 100 years. Well, since about 1967, uh, we've been closely involved uh, with the local fishermen and local processor to uh, develop that system of cultivation in Ireland. The reason for this is we recognised that there was mussel seeds, that's young mussels, in the Irish Sea, but that they wouldn't develop or contribute to the industry out there. So therefore it was a matter of developing a system for bringing these inshore, cultivating them and then uh, harvesting them for a local processing factory. Now that has been very successful and now there are 30 to 40 fishermen involved in boats ranging from about 15 feet in length up to 60 feet in length. And there, the factory employs about 80 people and indeed there was about £300,000 worth of exports last year in mussels onto European countries. Well, now there's an example of where you have the small boat people and uh, involved in a fish farming development 
development and a local processor which has grown with that development and both uh, uh, aspects of it are so important and indeed both uh, the fishermen and the processors um, cooperate so well together that it's a pleasure to see. Mariculture is a complex subject and there are various aspects which we just haven't had time to touch on during this programme. Marketing, for example, quality controls, the vexed questions of owning and leasing and foreshore rights, to mention just a few. But there has been an impetus during the past five years, and I asked Arthur Reynolds how he would assess recent developments. Well, they haven't been very um, impressive, really, because we are lagging behind so many other countries. Uh, Even in Britain, which has considerably less available water than we have, there has been a great influx of capital, uh, some of it by large concerns, that have already become completely viable and profitable. At the same time in Britain, you have a lot of small operations going on which are not successful and may not become successful because they lack the expertise and lack the capital. Don't forget in fish farming, you're talking about something of an investment period of five years, four to five years, before you get a profitable return. But the advantages, on the other hand, is that you can calculate your investment and you can calculate your return, unlike in hunting the seas, which in fact is what fishing is. So for people with capital and wishing to invest it in a natural resource, fish farming does have an appeal. But as I said just a few moments ago, you have to think of it in terms of the specific knowledge available, and we don't have that, and that is why the last five years haven't shown the progress of other countries. And I think if you want to look to an example of unique success in Europe, I think you have to look to Norway. Uh, There, where they developed the technique of breeding salmon in captivity, they have expanded so much so that they are now able to work to a tenfold target by 1985. That means ten times the production of today is likely to be achieved, which is pretty remarkable. And there seems to be no doubt that they will achieve this. But we cannot work to that uh, target, or even any target at the moment, because, for one thing, we need... We need basic laws that will protect and encourage investment in shore installations or shore-side installations. We need expertise on a scale which we frankly don't have in this country and is difficult to buy from abroad at the moment as long as opportunities exist elsewhere. Now that situation may change because if in fact you find that all the sites are gone in Norway. You're going to have people in Norway coming to Ireland, some of them skilled operators, some of them actual investors wanting to know if they can find sites here. That could be good for us. At the same time, we must realise that the coastal communities in Ireland do not have much in the way of agricultural resources to live on, and the sea is their great wealth. And I think we should look at this in a way in that the development would help people on the coast, as distinct from people who have come into the country or who have come from the cities and see an opportunity, well you can't say make a fast buck, but you can certainly say as a long term investment project of some profit. But it does really depend on skills, technical skills which we don't have. And if those technical skills were there now, I think the people in the coastal communities would be quick to catch on and would benefit from them. 
I think that may be a long way around answering your question, but I really feel that that is it. We have lagged behind the other countries. At the same time, we can look to them both for inspiration and we can look to them for guidance. And I think we can get that if we wish it. And the last word, Damien O'Callaghan. It is a type of business that does require constant attention, constant improvement. There are developments going on all over the world and we have n- we're not far behind the best now. I think to keep up with them and to do better than the other countries who are our competitors, we must constantly invest in both time, money and energy in this business and um, so um, make it a, a successful one for, 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 for Ireland.